Welcome to Shedding Light Hunting Stories Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the average Joe and their great hunting stories. I'm your host, Travis Williams. You're listening to episode 53. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Thanks for coming back for another one. Uh, Hope that you're having a great week. I had an awesome week, enjoyed uh, the bow shoot last night, and then also was able to meet up with my buddy Ben Cunningham and go out for another coyote hunt. These coyotes uh, most certainly have my number. I've gone out five times with Ben on the very first set of the very first time. I most certainly hit a coyote, but I did not drop it in its tracks. Not sure if I got it or not. We couldn't find it. And so I've been going out ever since trying to put down a coyote. And so far, I have not been very successful. Last night was epic, though. We went out to a field, and Ben let out a howl with his mouth call, and four packs went off all around us, every which direction. And uh, we really thought they were going to be coming in. And I I mean, I was (laughs) using thermal scopes with mounted on ARs, and I'm scanning. I'm kind of nervous because that's a lot of coyotes going off. And it was just, I mean, hair on the back of my neck standing up. Unfortunately, nothing came in close. Ben took a crack at one after about an hour and a half of us trying different locations, trying to get the wind right, which was really tricky. But we tried a new location, um, and sure enough, we had more coyotes. I probably saw 15 coyotes last night. Two of them finally came in came in on a run, but they hung up just a little far, and I'll just be honest, I am not used to shooting and keeping stable with a tripod and all that. It's a lot to manage. Uh, don't want to make excuses, but I flat missed uh, a coyote that was standing broadside. Um, it was just really hard to get settled in, and um, you know, just fired it off, and they took off running, didn't get them. So I will have to do it again. But it's just something fun to do, you know, kind of in this off season between, you know, for me the big things are deer and turkey. And so uh, enjoy doing that, enjoy shooting my bow at the Bow League, and I really enjoy doing this podcast. Um, it is not a burden. It is something that I just have a passion for because it's just really cool to talk to different people about their hunting experiences. And, and it's always, you know, you guys know in this podcast that, I relate this to life. I, hunting's not just like a private, separate box. It's everything's kind of mixed together, and um, so there's a lot of things that hunting teaches me about life. I had a guy comment saying that he uh, liked the last podcast, but I should have kept out the religious gibberish. Um, <laughs> so, you know, if that's not your cup of tea, you know, hey, I'm not trying to cram anything down your throat. I'm just trying to tell you that this is what works for me in my life, and if it doesn't for you, you know, uh, you know, that's that's up to you. But I just want to kind of throw some things out there for you to think about. I believe there is a God, and he wants you to know about him. And so part of this podcast and part of who I am is is telling you about that. But mostly what we do here is hear some great hunting stories, and that is the case for today. Before I introduce our guest, I will say that we have some new videos up. I've told you about them before. Head on over to our YouTube page or Facebook page, and you can check out uh, my buddy Trav released a really great uh, video on two does he was able to get this past season with his recurve bow. And what is so fun about these videos is, for me is watching my buddy Trav's reaction. Like most people when they shoot a doe, like they get excited, but he truly gets pumped, like shakes. Like I always make fun of him for kind of like hyperventilating. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like I love his adrenaline rush that he gets after shooting a doe. And, and I mean, it just... I don't know. It's just something pure about it, and it's just exciting to watch. So go on over to our YouTube. You can watch two great shots that he's put on these does, and I think that you guys will uh, definitely enjoy that. 
So anyway, uh, thank you guys also for if, you, if you've left uh, reviews. Some of you have done that recently and really appreciate that. And uh, once again, if you'd like to come on the show, sheddinglightod at gmail.com. All right, today's guest, let's get into it. Uh, his name is Mike Stelsner. He's from Minnesota. And Mike is friends with Bobby, uh, who we had on just a couple weeks ago. Uh, Mike actually owns and runs CNS Custom Calls. And he makes goose calls, duck calls, um, and does some incredible work. If you look on his website, which we'll drop here in a little bit, uh, there are some really great calls for you guys to check out if you're into that type of thing. There's turkey calls, and I'm definitely looking to buy one of his turkey calls. But he really, we it's not a sales pitch. We really get into uh, how he started this company and how he's worked that out, how he does this now full-time, and he talks a little bit about that. He does tell some stories a little bit later on in the show about um, just some fun experience he's had, some crazy uh, uh, duck hunts, goose hunts, and a really cool, just a short uh, turkey story that I think that you guys will love. Uh, we also get into a little bit about family and some challenges, and so uh, I won't say any more. We'll just get to the episode and the interview here. Hope that you enjoy this one with Mike Stelzner. Hey, Mike. How's it going, man? Good, good. How are you? Uh, doing great. How's life in Minnesota? Snowy, cold, kind of the normal January. It's one day it's 60, and the next day it's 60 below up here. So, Ours isn't quite that extreme, but in Ohio it is a little <laughs> fluctuates. So. Well, good, man. Uh, what's what's going on this week for you? Having a busy week or uh, things kind of slow? Uh, yeah, you know, we're, we're our busy season is basically about June through the end of January. Like a lot of southern, we get a lot of southern duck haul sales and things like that through the end of the end of this month and the season start closing out and then we we do we do kind of have a couple months where we start building stock and work on turkey stuff for the spring and roll back into the fall so yeah so you do uh cns custom calls uh is that something that you do full-time or is it a part-time gig tell us a little bit about you know just what you do for a living and family and all that stuff sure yeah so uh it is a full-time job now, so it used to be, it's kind of all woven together kind of in one big mass of, uh, from, you know, family and the way things worked out and uh, kind of how how the call business came to be, but I do it full-time now, and I think I've been full-time, oh man, this is going on my eighth year, I believe, full-time, and I've had an employee for six of those eight years, and uh I started, I've always kind of been, you know, I grew up, I've got a big family. I'm the oldest of seven brothers and sisters and mom and dad were, you know, big outdoorsmen and outdoors, you know, family and, uh, you know, hunting rabbits in the backyard and shooting the, shooting the bows, you know, I, I was big game before I was waterfowl and, uh, I've always been a tinkerer. So hands-on kind of person, I love to work with my hands. So I actually started out doing arrows, um, fletching arrows, cresting arrows, uh, turkey pots a little bit. And then I started doing wing bone calls because they were easy to do and, uh, something that was fun and, uh, started doing that. And then that kind of just crossed over. I think it was about, uh, 2002. Um, I started doing, started messing with waterfowl calls and, uh, you know, we, I, I actually grew up out West and then we moved over to Wisconsin where I went to high school. And then I 
actually went to the Bible college down here in Rochester, Minnesota. And, uh, kind of when I was there, I got introduced to a buddy in the youth group that I was part of leading was a big waterfowler. And so he's like, Hey, you should come duck hunting with me and my dad. And so the rest is kind of history. And he's a, he's a local youth minister at a, at a church here. And I always tell him that I own commission because without him taking me waterfowling, I probably would be, <laughs> you know, I would definitely not be in the call making industry. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, from what I understand. I have not gone uh, duck hunting, but I understand it's extremely addictive once you go out there. So what kind of drew you into to waterfowl? Well, I think, you know, it, it was just an outdoor sport and it was just another thing that I could do. And it's like anything. I mean, um, I think that we all have times in our lives where I, I call it seasons where like certain things are more alluring than others as far as sports go or our hobbies or whatever, you know, whatever we're doing and the people we surround ourselves with. But it was just one of those things that I hadn't done and somebody else wanted to do it, you know. And uh, when I was in college here, I grew up doing a lot of deer hunting and I didn't have a lot of spots here to whitetail hunt because I didn't know any landowners and waterfowling was one of those things that we could do on public water. And so we would just get up and man, we were, we were so green. I think back to those days and, and that's why I always tell people I have a, so many customers that struggle like with uh, calling ability or getting better at hunting in general. And I always say, Hey, you know, every pro started, terrible you know we all started for the first time at whatever we're doing and you know i remember taking out the, the old aluminum canoe and covering it with burlap and you know trying to shoot ducks with an old walmart three dollar duck call you know and i wasn't very successful but but we had a lot of fun you know and uh and it was a good time but you know the thing that got me kind of into the waterfowl call arena was um just it was just something I could do. And a lot of people seem to build calls because they, or they say that they wanted to build a better call or they wanted to, they weren't happy with what it was in the industry, but there really wasn't the case with me. I can't say that I was a good enough caller at the time that I started like tinkering with calls to really say, well, this call doesn't, you know, or this product doesn't meet my needs. It wasn't the case. I just liked making stuff. And so for a couple of years there, uh, in was about 2003. Um, my wife and I had been married for four years and we, I just started tinkering around with duck calls. And then it got to the point where it was costing money. And after a couple of years, I had developed a product that I felt was good enough to sell. And so, you know, I just started kind of as a hobby business in a way to kind of basically reclaim some of the investment that mm -hmm. I had spent on it. And I think my wife was getting wore out on me. <laughs> spending money. <laughs> well, I was, I, I was, I was kind of picturing her getting worn out on you doing duck calls all the time in the house, you know? <laughs> well, it's interesting because we had a rule the first couple, I'd say it even went into when we were, when I was making calls and selling a few was that there was no duck calling in the house because she got really wore out on me just practicing. <laughs> I mean, and yeah, and duck calls aren't loud aren't quiet you know our goose calls too it's it's kind of like a set of drums probably in your living room and so it it definitely wore on her and uh yeah so that was kind of an interesting deal we started doing that and then i just kind of kept the ball rolling and uh i actually i i graduated from crossroads which well it's crossroads now it was minnesota bible at the time with a degree in youth and family ministry and i had a minor in uh 
preaching ministry. And so I did some of that small, like 10 preaching, not, not a lot of it, um, did some pulpit supply and stuff like that. And then my wife went through her master's program in social work and, uh, and I was just really loving making calls. And I actually went back to the Bible college and I was the maintenance supervisor there for, Oh, about five years. And I loved it because I was working with the kids at the college. You know, I mean, I was fixing toilets and drywall and electrical and plowing the roads, but it was still kind of a ministry really for me and uh, to be hanging out with those kids. And, uh, and then we, uh, it's kind of a lot, I'm cramming a lot in here, but then my boys, my boys were both adopted and my wife was an adoption social worker at the time. And uh, we were just struggling with some infertility. And, uh, that was just kind of the answer staring us boldly in the face when we prayed about, uh, you know, children. And so we adopted my oldest and, uh, he's 12 now. And then I kind of cut back to like 30 hours a week when he was a couple years old and, and my wife was getting more busy, more bit busier at her, at her practice. She eventually became a master's uh, social worker and started her own therapy practice. And, and she did uh, child and family therapy for several years. And so once we adopted Eli, um, it was easier for us to basically both like half our time and not have our kids in daycare every day. It was just a goal that we had. And so early on call early on call making as a job was, a way for me to basically be home. And it really wasn't like a, it really wasn't a massive income producer, you know, but it was a way for me to basically be at home with the kids. And, you know, I, I spent a lot of time in the shop. I remember when Brian was little, I had like a outdoor play swing that I hooked up to the rafters in the shop. And, you know, he would swing in that when I was in there building, you know, turning wood and building duck calls, you know, Mike, let me ask you a question about that. I, um, kind of hitting at this a little bit, but I think there's a lot of guys listening to this that maybe they have tried their hand at making a call or they've done that and they're wanting to know, okay, how did you, how did you grow this to a point? At what point did you pull the trigger and say, you know what, I can do this full time? You know, how do I, how do I, um, <laughs> how do I get to that point? And what does that look like? I guess that'd be my second part of the question is, what does it look like to be a full-time game maker, you know, game call maker? You know, what does that sure. look like whenever you wake up? Do you set your own hours? How do you, how do you manage that? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. You know, perspectives are always interesting and even my perspectives and, and like, I, I'm, I'm not, I don't consider myself really an old person. I mean, I'm 42 and my son considers me a very, very old person, but um, you know, the uh, I'm a pre Facebooker, I call it. So like, <laughs> I, I swear people can't remember life before Facebook. Like they don't remember that, you know? Mm-hmm. And so like I started building game calls and selling game calls, you know, a good four to five years before, like the inception of Facebook. And so the market at that time was, um, was online hunting forums. And, you know, there, there's, I kind of can, I kind of think there's really three levels to the, the call making industry. And I think you can say it across the board. Um, but waterfowl, the waterfowl industry, for sure, there's like, there's like your upper echelon of guys. And these are the guys that, you know, there's probably three, four, maybe like, you know, the Zinc or RNTs, and these are companies that employ a lot of employees, and they're like a nationwide retail chain. Um, 
you know, I mean, and, and there's different levels within that level, but like Primo's, you know, a lot of those bigger companies. Right. And then there's kind of your, you know, your center core group of like guys under that. And so there are guys that might have some calls in some retail and they sell a lot locally and, you know, they're kind of like small shop, but maybe a little bit bigger full time. And then you have like your really small shop guys that are doing like a couple hundred custom calls a year. And the market's very different depending on what you're marketing to. And, you know, so for me, it, it was about, about two years too soon. I think I started selling calls. It was like 2000, you know, four or five, I sold probably 40 or 50 calls in 2006. I might've sold a hundred and, and, and a lot of those, I kind of wish I had back. I'm sure that they're probably lost and you know because they weren't the best sounding calls but it was about 2007 2008 when I really like hit my stride and I started making you know what I consider some really good calls and I have a couple of those tone boards which on a duck call you have a tone board which is a lot like a clarinet or another woodwind instrument that has a, a board and a reed and a cork or some sort of wedge block that holds that part in place and that's what creates the sound and so my my tone board designs were getting a lot better and I was becoming a lot more efficient and consistent call maker. And so at that time I was selling mostly on internet forums and that was kind of more of a collector base and uh, a lot of like really cool handmade stuff and stuff that's really highly sought after now. And, uh, and as it progressed, I kind of got more into the production side of things because that's like, as a, a guy that wanted to grow in the industry, I wanted to be like on the production side. I wanted to sell a lot of calls and, and uh, you know, I've kind of like settled in to that center position. And I, I still consider myself a pretty small shop, but as far as like uh, you calling and ordering like a fully custom wood that you choose and send to me with different like adornments and things like that, I've kind of had to take a step back from that. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but I was just losing track, but I do, you know, now I've kind of transitioned to where I have like a full, we have a full production line of calls and, and uh, they're all my designs and I have parts roughed out by other machinists. And then I, you know, finish them here in the shop and tune them and, and do various levels of, you know, manufacturing here in the shop too. And then we make parts for a lot of other call companies too here. Um, and that was kind of a way to diversify, but it, uh, it kind of, it just kind of snowballed, you know, and I, I'm not a very goal oriented person, which is, is kind of bad, but it's kind of good too. And people say, well, what was your goal with calls? And I'm like, just to make it to the next day, you know, <laughs> I had very short term goals with it. And, you know, to bring, to bring like my faith into it a little bit, like the, the background I had and was raised a very strong believing family and, and my faith was very strong. And so I knew that like, whatever I did in life, I wanted it to be a ministry. Like it, you know, it needed to be a ministry in a way for me to feel, to feel whole, you know, I mean, I don't believe that God needs me to do anything to accomplish his, his mission, but, but I wanted to, you know, that's an important part of my life. And so that's where like a lot of my call names are like the preacher and the justifier. And yeah, I just, I was on your website looking at those. So. <laughs> yeah. And so it just became kind of something I integrated in there and, uh, you know, and then the, the rest kind of snowballed in and, you know, and, and I would say, you know, my average day is 
pretty much like everybody's average day, you know, now, especially that both of my boys are in school, but before my boys were both in school full time, a lot of my days were I mean, crazy. Like I'd work, you know, half a day and then pick a kid up. And then I'd go back out at like five at night and work till midnight or one. And, you know, or if my wife would do like therapy sessions, Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, and then I would, you know, work Tuesday, Thursdays. And we kind of, we were very blessed in a way that we could work that. And, you know, we made a lot of sacrifices like horrible medical insurance and high taxes, but it was worth it to be home with, with our boys, you know, as they grew up. And now that they're both in school, I pretty much work, you know, I work, you know, during the day and, and then, you know, I fill orders and I do a lot more paperworky type stuff than I want to, you know, and that's kind of why I really needed another employee was so that I had somebody there that could work when I wasn't there. And that was a huge benefit. You know, I, I, uh, met some guys through an old forum called minnesotawaterfowler.com and it was total, it was a total God thing. And, uh, Matt Keller was the guy's name and he's working at a YWAM base now out in, in, uh, Idaho. But at the time he was ministering to, uh, at risk youth or just kids that just needed some mentoring. And we did some duck hunts. And then I started kind of helping them raise some money with call sales and whatever we could do for those trips. And we kind of hit it off. And, uh, the first, gentleman that I hired was one of those youth kids. And then the guy that's working for me now, Adam has been working for me for going on five years. He was, went to Bemidji, uh, the Bible college in Bemidji with Matt and was looking for a job. And I said, yeah, come on, move on down and let's, you know, make duck calls for a living. So mm, that's cool. It's kind that's of really neat. Yeah. 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 Now, let me ask you this. Um, how much hunting are you able to get in with this kind of job? I mean, obviously you're wanting to go out and probably test these calls. Um, you know, so how do you have a bunch of people that like try out your calls and they write up reviews or do you go out and primarily like, you know, test them out yourself? Yeah. I mean, for the most part, as far as like field testing goes, you know, I mean, uh, a duck call, most duck calls sound like a duck or you don't, you know, or they don't sell or they're effective. And so you kind of build, you kind of build a design that has the right sound, but also fits a broad spectrum of users, try to make it user friendly. And I think that's one thing that's been very, made my calls very successful is that, you know, I was an average caller, you know, or, and then became kind of above average, but just got to the point where, you know, the product fit a lot of people. And so, I mean, I, I have hunted a lot less the last, you know, handful of years, of course, when you have kids and they start getting older and then you do it for a job. And I mean, the fall is our busy season. So, you know, Adam, my employee hunts a lot more than I do, and, uh, you know, but yeah, I mean, all the customers that I have, you know, I constantly get feedback from them and, you know, reviews on the web store and things like that. And, you know, I mean, when I first started, it was just strictly word of mouth um, on reviews and things like that, because I literally didn't have any sort of web, you know, a, a yeah. platform to sell on. And, you know, I had a website with like pictures and PayPal buttons back in the day, you know, and, and, uh, now I've got a web store that I've integrated. And so there's some videos and sound files on there. And yeah, what's you know, that it's a, kind of, I'm oh, sorry. Go I was going to ask you, what's the website in case guys are just like, 
itching to know sure. what this thing is so they can sure. look at some of these calls. What's your, your website that you have there? Yeah, the, the web address is just uh, www.cscustomcalls.com. And then when you're on there, that's my main page that I developed. And uh, then there's a button that you can just click to go to the storefront. And that's store slash cscustomcalls.com. And so the storefront eventually... I've been trying for a year to integrate those two together. And I've kind of always been the do-it-yourselfer with with every facet of my business. So I'd build my own web page. And because every time I'd have to do that, they would need the content anyways. And I'm like, well, I'm building it already. So so I'm still not quite that savvy when it comes to integration. But but yeah, you know, that's got pretty much all my production line on there. And then I have a page that has signature stuff, which you know, kind of what I what I was more known for in the beginning was, you know, 100% everything was handmade in the shop. And, uh, and you know, I mean, there was a couple of years there between 2008, 9, 10, and 11 where, you know, I was entering, there's a national call making contest, which is actually coming up here um, the first week in February, but it's held down at, in Opryland in Tennessee in Nashville, Tennessee every year. And it's, it's uh, Turkey. It's the national Turkey banquet that Turkey Federation puts on their national convention. And they have a, they have a Turkey call making contest and a duck and goose call making contest. And they have a decorative side and a hunting side. And so the decorative is just strictly judged on art. And then the hunting side is judged on like, they actually judge your call like with, you know, contest callers come in and they blow the calls and judge them. And so 2008, I believe, was the first year that I won call maker of the year. And so they kind of judge all the calls together and from all the makers. And then they take the top like six up and then they rejudge them all. And then it's like best to show call maker of the year, second best to show and then down the line. And over the years, that contest has grown quite a bit. I think the first year I entered, there was like maybe 60 makers. And now there's almost 200 makers that enter that contest. And so that kind of, yeah, I, I, I'm, I tend to be a pretty modest person, but it's, I've been extremely blessed there to have won, yeah. I think 11, 11 championships over the years. And I've kind of retired now and my son has started entering a little bit, but, but that really kind of was like a boost to my confidence. And also, I mean, it, it really didn't sell me a ton of more calls, but I think it probably did help things because it gave my calls some, you know, reputation. Right. And, uh, and people saw that and, you know, so they, you know, it, it helped my sales, but, you know, since then, you know, those, those years there, those four years that I was really entering hard and winning there, I was, I was hand making like four to 500 calls a year and I wasn't full time yet. And it just, like by the last year, it just about wrecked me and I never got tired of it or wanted to quit, but I was just ready. To, I think I probably would have, would have burnt yeah. out eventually. And so that's what kind of forced me to go full time with it, you know? Gotcha. Well, I, um, I have to imagine, I, I kind of want to get it transition a little bit into your hunting stories that you have and sure. get some of those, but I have to imagine that if I would start like trying to develop a call, and then I take it out to hunt, um, and I was actually able to kill something because of a call that I have. Do you remember, like, do you remember the first, you know, animal you were able to get based off of a call that you personally made? Can you think of what that hunt, or maybe something closely related to that, Mike? Oh man, I don't know because it, 
it it seems like it's a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're going but, back a lot. You know, but yeah, I think, you know, for me, a lot of it was, I was growing so much and learning so much those first couple of years, you know, and I had, you know, I have a, I have a duck and a goose call down there that were kind of my first set. And, you know, I don't have like a specific duck or goose that I remember, you know, like killing my first bird on, you know, I think, uh, the one year I was making calls, we went to North Dakota and we shot a bunch of birds and, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure even then I sounded terrible on a call, but, you know, sometimes it just doesn't seem to matter. I mean, there's so many more variables and it's not a very good sales tactic, but you know, <laughs> there's, there's way more things that you need or that can help you than a duck call, even though a duck call is a crucial part, but you know, there's so many more variables to hunting, but but, you know, I have a lot of those calls from the first couple of years that are in my collection for the boys. And those are kind of things that, you know, like duck hunts or goose hunts, you know, and that's what it would have been. You know, I still haven't killed a deer with one of my own grunt tubes, but that's not that's not because I haven't had opportunities. It's just because I haven't had the right deer <laughs> you know, at the right yeah. at the right time. But uh, but, you know, I have it's always fun. Like, it, it's really cool. I think that a lot of things in life we we tend to like trivialize or we take them for granted, but I think back on it and it's so cool to me that, you know, I've been able to, you know, do it or been blessed enough to be able to build a product and take it out in the field. Or, you know, I'll get a story from a guy that says, yeah, you know, my son and I went out on this hunt and we used your calls and we had a great time. And, and, you know, I, I try to constantly remind myself that waterfowling and hunting in general is a family tradition and that's what it is, you know, and it's like, a, it's a passed on tradition. And that's what, that's, what's really cool about it. You know, is that like my boys, you know, hunt with their dad. And I mean, my son, my 12 year old is, is really big into it. And, uh, and he was killing turkeys when he was six and, and my seven year old's a little less crazy about it because I haven't pushed him as hard because, you know, you learn a lot on your first kid. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> so, but he gets spoiled rotten. I mean, he, you know, my, I, I hunt less, I hunt less than I used to, but my hunts are more productive. So I'm less apt to just, you know, do the 18 year old thing and go set up in a, in a water hole and throw out some decoys and hope there's birds. You know, we scout for four or five days and if there's no birds around, we don't go hunting. But if there are, you know, then we wait till the weather's right and the cloud covers right. And then we go hunt. And a lot of times those, those things add up to success. And, uh, Usually myself and, and my employee, Adam has two boys too. His oldest is the same age as, as Brian 12. And so we take our boys and they have good shoots and, you know, I'm like, you guys are spoiled. You know, I mean, when I hunted with my dad, we were lucky to pass shoot at something flying by, you know, yeah. you guys are going out on hunts where we're shooting, you know, three dozen honkers, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and of course they get to just, you know, you know, shoot until they think they shot their limit, you know? Mm. What's been your favorite, you know, that's the thing about, you know, I'm not, a, I've never duck hunted before. So whenever I interview guys on deer hunting stories, it always comes down to that one moment where they shot that one deer. I know with duck hunting, it seems to me from, from talking to the guys in waterfowl, that it's more about the whole experience or the trip. And it's not necessarily like that one bird, cause you guys are killing lots of birds, but it's more so about the whole trip. So is there any trips or any like, um, 
you know, uh, places that you've been able to go with your family or friends that just kind of stands out as something well, like if you had to like nail it down, like, man, that was one of, one of my top favorite duck, uh, duck hunting experiences. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, because I'm like, like a lot of guys, I mean, I'm a multi, you know, species hunter. Like I, I love whitetail hunting. And I love, I love turkey hunting. And I, I might even say, I mean, everybody would tell you that turkey hunting is by far probably my most motivated and favorite thing to hunt. But a lot of that's because the spring is slow and mm-hmm. I just love hunting turkeys in the spring and then waterfowl too. But yeah, they all bring that different aspect and waterfowling is, it is, it's a social, it's like a super social sport because you can talk in the blind and you can joke around and the, you know, you're not having to worry about a whitetail at a hundred yards spot and you're moving in the tree you know, or, or a turkey, you know, yeah, and things like that. But yeah, I mean, I, I have a lot, you know, a lot of, a lot of those old North Dakota hunts were actually really good memories with my, my good friend, Ike, who I've known for years, him and his dad. And I mean, it's funny because you remember like the really crappy stuff, <laughs> but you remember it really well. Like, you know, one time, uh, Ike was driving the Suburban and we had a canoe on top of the old camper and we hit like a huge bump in the road just out of the middle of nowhere and it shot the canoe through the back window and, you know, just was just a mess. But you think about that kind of stuff, you know, and, and uh, you know, re- like more recently, like a lot of it is, has to do with, with my kids, you know, yeah. and so it's like, you know, like I remember Brian's first turkey, he had just turned six and he could barely hold the gun. And he killed like the biggest Tom that he'll probably ever kill in his life that I've seen killed. It was a big double bearded bird, but you know, like he, uh, he, he basically clipped it and, you know, I had to run it down and, uh, it, it went running past him and he tried tackling it and he was like a five-year-old. And so I said, of course, like, like, get it, Brian, like step on it. And he tackled it. And it looked like him tackling a T-Rex. It's kind of <laughs> And then I remembered that it has, you know, one inch spurs and, and, you know, to let it go. And then of course, you know, I mean, it it eventually just, you know, rolled over right there and and I was able to catch it, but, you know, stuff like that, or um, this year we hunted uh, a pond about a mile from the house and Eli uh, being, well, he was seven and he didn't really want to, it was cold and he didn't want to sit in the blind. And so he would sit in the truck. And when it got cold and, uh, I had like 10 guys out there and we've been watching this pond for a week and there was a lot of birds in there and there was like a 50 pack of geese just locked up decoying right in and they hit about 40 yards and Eli just lays on the suburban horn and all of them flare out of the decoys. Oh, <laughs> and, no. and I like looked back and I'm like, what are you doing? And he says, oh, I was just letting you know that there was geese coming, dad. Like, thanks buddy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And everybody understood that, that yeah. a lot of it, but you know, it, it's just funny. Like the things that you, that you recall, you know, yeah. and, uh, we've really, we really hunt turkeys hard in the spring. And I take a lot of, like, I try to take trips, you know, South Dakota, Nebraska, and, and that's mm-hmm. always fun. And I think like having my son with, and I'm sure, I'm sure anybody who's a, who's a hunting dad can relate to, you know, like taking your kid out and watching your kids succeed. And I think in the outdoors in general, you know, I like, I love watching other people succeed. Like I love watching other people, you know, bag their first Turkey or, you know, 
she was their first whitetail or, you know, there's, and I can't say that for everybody. I mean, I do have some buddies that they just want to, you know, stack them up, you know, but right. I think the, the older you get, you know, I, I, a lot of people ask me, like they assume that I go out and just have a great hunts all year. And, you know, I kind of say I've, I've traded in my, my days of limits for limitless days in the blind with my kids. And it, and it's an easy trade-off, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it's worth it. So it, it doesn't really bother me. You know, I'm a sunset kind of guy shooting over under shotgun, you know, I mean, I'm kind of, you know, I probably should have been bored a hundred years ago kind of deal. Yeah. My son yeah. isn't though. He's got a fully automatic and he takes it to the, you know, or a semi-automatic and he takes it to the plug every time, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> Oh man, no, that's awesome. And you're getting me, you're getting me excited for turkey season because I know it's still a few months away, but there is just something cool about the spring woods, getting out there, calling, all of that. And it's, I, and I relate to what you're saying. Like, I'm still figuring out the deer stuff. Like, I take guys deer hunting, but I'm like, listen, there's probably some better people for you, uh, to have as a mentor because I'm still kind of figuring this out, at least for bow hunting. But turkeys, you know, I've I've done it six years. I'm no professional, but I know where to go to kill turkeys. And so uh, the crazy thing this year is there's a guy that's just brand new to hunting. He watched Meat Eater, and now he wants to become a hunter. And he bought a bow, and he wants to go turkey hunting with his bow in the spring. Uh, which sure. I've, which I've never done, but I'm like, all right. I mean, that sounds like a fun challenge. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. You know, I mean, and that's the thing, like if we get going on turkey hunting, it's, it's an endless, an endless line of chatter there, but you know, I got into turkey hunting, not even that. I mean, it's probably been 10 years, less than 10 years, but it just became something that I just love to do. And, and uh, I mean, I've always been an archery person. Like if I have a chance to hunt something with a with a bow and I did strictly traditional for a lot of years and now I'm kind of like I have three or four stick bows and I have you know a compound and you know we just I have eight or nine targets in the backyard and me and the boys go out and shoot a lot and uh but you know like I was a big that's all I did in the last couple years here let's see well this year I killed a tom with my recurve which was pretty cool out of the blind and I've killed a couple with the recurve and a couple with the compound and you know it it is it is a ton of fun using a bow but a blind is super beneficial with that but you know like it's hard to beat you know I I elk hunted a couple years out west before we moved out, out here and of course there's no elk out here and so I always equate it to like elk hunting but on a different plane where you know, you call and they gobble back. I mean, it's the most incredible, you know, I mean, geese honk back and it's fun to like to work birds, you know, it's all similar and it's fun to work birds. I know a lot of guys that really like waterfowl and they will moonlight turkey, but they hate deer hunting. And it's because their demeanor is like, I don't want to sit in a tree for three hours, you know, and, and watch one deer, you know, they like to call stuff in. And so for me, I, I find you know, solace and reward in both, in both styles of hunting, because, you know, like, like I said, the social aspect of waterfowling and turkey hunting and the camaraderie. And, but I think you can have that with archery and with deer, you know, I have a couple buddies and we run cameras on a property and we're like constantly bantering back and forth about pictures and stand sets and, you know, and things like that. And that's, that's what I think makes life valuable. You know, God didn't design us as as to be alone he designed us to work you know to be 
to love and to be part of other people. And so like, that's what gets you excited. Like, you know, mm-hmm. when you're talking to your buddies about spring Turkey and, you know, if you just did it by yourself, it'd be fun, but man, yeah. it's not near as fun as celebrating it with somebody else. Yeah. I, I see a lot of, like, there seems to be a push for solo hunters, you know, and, and, you know, kind of DIY going back in it. And I think there's, I understand yeah. that. I think there's like the challenge of being by yourself and can you do this on your own? And there's that personal reward. But for me personally, I mean, I, I'm with you. I really, I find it more valuable to be with people and share an experience um, yeah. because you can always go back and, and you, you said this a little bit ago, Mike, sometimes it's not even remembering the success. You remember how hard something was, you know, my buddy yeah. Trav and I, we went elk hunting this past year and guys that have listened to that. I mean, it was hard. It was really hard. Uh, Trav flat out did not enjoy it the way that he thought that he would. And it was, it was rough. It was rough. I mean, but I had an awesome experience calling my way into a bull and some really neat things, but you, we didn't get, you, we didn't get one down. Um, but you still remember and you look back on that, like, man, that was incredibly hard, but you still look back and I don't know, that might transfer over to life too. There's sometimes you go look back on some hard things that you've been through and you realize, you know what, that was hard, but it, it's definitely something that taught me a lot about life and, yeah. and made me who I am today. Yeah, I think, you know, that's the thing, you know, and, and I mean, everything in life has a lesson, I think, whether whether we want to learn it or not, you know, and every little decision we make, you know, changes our future. And so I guess, you know, take that for whatever it means, but it's you know, it's, it's worth thinking about those different things. And I, I agree, like the tough stuff is what you, is what seems to stick with you. You know, I mean, the times of super, the times that where it was easy are fun too, but where you work so hard for something and then maybe you've succeeded at it, yeah. you know, that that's really something worth, you know, that you cherish, you know, and I think, you know, it's easy for me to get into the, like daily mundane, like going to work every day, which is, I, I mean, I go to work every day, just, I mean, not as much maybe as most guys anymore, but you know, most guys, excuse me, go work that eight hour day and it, it gets to be a grind. And even though I love what I do and it's a blessing, I still get, get that way. And so it's easy, it's easy, you know, to get negative about it or just get down on it. And so you have to, I just try to remind myself, Hey, look how blessed I am to be able to, you know, pick my kids up and, and, uh, you know, if we want, you know, if we want to go turkey hunting, you know, a lot in the spring, Adam and I will drop our kids off at school and we'll just head out at eight o'clock and go try to kill a turkey, you know? And, uh, and I mean, when else could I do that, you know, and say it's yeah. work, you yeah. know? And so it's been a huge blessing, you know? And, and, uh, I think the biggest thing for me really, and the way that this worked for me was my wife was a very hard worker and she was a professional woman and uh, she had her her own therapy practice. And so we both kind of worked together to make it work. If I, if I had, if I'd had to pay all of our bills making duck calls, I would never have been able to do it full time because it just wouldn't have worked. And uh, so she made a lot of sacrifices and stuff like that. And so, you know, that became kind of the fabric of how things worked around here. And, uh, you know, yeah. there were, there were times that I took a, a one or too many hunting trips, but after 20 years, you kind of learn <laughs> where the line was, Yeah, you know? And, uh, so, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm extremely blessed and I've met so many good people in the industry, like other call makers and, uh, you know, 
hunters and just other men of faith really that, Mm -hmm. that have, have been integral in it, you know? And and that's one of the cool things that I like about the industry that I'm in. And and there is, there is some like very strong competition and there's a lot of, how do you put it nicely, but there's some arrogant like people in the industry. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and it's an interesting industry because I see both sides of it. So I see like most of the custom guys are gentlemen shirt off their back, whatever you need. And, and then there's a lot of guys in the industry that are like that. And then there's guys in the industry that are very cutthroat and, you know, but for a majority of what I deal with, I really enjoy the fact that I deal with guys that are, you know, we're just, we're just trying to do something we love and do it well, you know, and maybe have an impact on people's lives with it, you know? So I think that's, you know, the most important thing about it. Yeah. Well, that's great. I, um, you know, I really respect that because I think you've, you've been able to do something that and it hasn't been easy. And I think that's the thing. A lot of people think, you know, oh, you work in some sort of hunting thing. Um, you know, it takes, I, and I just think about this podcast, for example, like the amount of work it would take for me to make this be a full-time gig for the guys that do that, man, I can't look at those guys with like contempt or anything. I'm just good for sure. them, man, because there is a lot of work that goes into that and you've had to put in a lot of work. And then you talk about your wife and your guys' commitment to work together, um, for you to be able to chase that dream. You know, not sure. everybody can do that. And so and that's okay. I think people just finding, you know, you got to find the time that fits into you for what you want to do with hunting and what your passions are. I think that's the main thing. Yeah, I agree. You know, and, you know, and I, I think maybe a lot, maybe a lot of listeners will know that, you know, my wife was diagnosed with cancer and passed away last year. And so that made, mm-hmm. that made a huge difference with the way that things are moving forward now. And it's taken me a while to figure out, you know, where the direction is and to try to be uh, independent as, you know, like, a, like a single father has made a huge difference in, in my schedule. And, you know, I'm the guy now. And so it, it took me a long time to, to figure out of all the things I could do. And I always tell like all my buddies this, like, if you think you can't do it for your wife, you actually can, you know, because you can do the dishes, you can do the laundry. You just, you know, don't want to, and you might suck it. And I mean, I'm still terrible <laughs> at folding laundry, but you know, the boys know if it's not done to go get it out of the basket, but you know, those kind of things just happen in life. And it's been a, it's been a tough year for us here, but you know, I'm constantly reminded of the sacrifices that my wife made and that we made for each other and, and the blessings that came from that sacrifice, you know? And I mean, of course, without our faith, it would have been it would have been very hard, you know, and and people, people suffer every day and suffer through things worse than I've suffered through. And and I always try to keep that into perspective. That's easy to focus inward and, and not focus outward like Christ teaches us to do, but you know, that life, life is going to hand you lemons at some point, it's going to hand you lemons and, you know, you're going to have to, you're going to have to deal with it and uh, how you deal with it is going to define your future, you know? And so you kind of, (laughs) you know, you kind of have to write it out and that's what life's about. And so I really can't complain. Like you said, I mean, it was a lot of hard work and I try to remember that when, when I'm handing out deals left and right for calls, (laughs) you know, okay, (laughs) you worked really hard to get here. You should try to try to make, make some money off of it. But, you know, I think, uh, Mm. you know, if anybody out there is, and there's a lot of guys that ask me all the time, 
like, how can I get into this or how can I do it full time? And, and I kind of just tell them all the same thing, like just work hard, you know, I mean, there's a lot more shortcuts now, it seems like than there was when I was starting. I mean, Facebook is a plethora of how do I do this with a 10 second post and you can get an answer off Google. And I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of answers even out there now, but you know, at the end of the day, it still comes down to like commitment and, you know, wanting to build the brand. And, you know, I mean, it took me, it took me a long time to kind of build the brand that I have. And, and uh, I'd hate to do it now. I feel like there's so many more people in the industry in the last 10. I mean, just, just like the outdoor industry in general, like everybody can have a company, a podcast. uh, I mean, you name it and they can do it, you know, because it's right here at our fingertips. And, and so the thing that I think separates people is just hard work and, you know, good customer service and having integrity. I mean, I've found that a lot of the business that I get, people say, Oh man, I can't believe, you know, your customer service was this good. And I'm like, man, I just, I'm just trying to do good business, you know, and I didn't, didn't think it was that great in the first place, you know, or I struggle to get something out on time and people are gracious. So absolutely. That goes a long, long way. And Mike, I really appreciate you, uh, you know, sharing your stories and also, you know, um, I know it's tough to talk about your wife uh, you and I, before we, we got on here, we talked a little bit about those things, but I, I completely relate with what you're talking about with, you know, um, <laughs> things could be way worse and it's hard to think that way sometimes, but you know that you're blessed. We know, you know, we know the good things. So I, I appreciate yeah. you being willing to to share that. And I'm sure that that's going to benefit somebody that listens to this, that's going through, you know, challenging times for sure. So, yeah, I mean, hopefully if there's anybody out there, I mean, people can connect with me. And if somebody needs some prayers, they can always connect with me and I'm more than happy to pray for people or, you know, give advice. I mean, I have, I have learned some things I think, you know, but there's, yeah. <laughs> there's always something to learn. And life teaches us a lot with experiences. So. Absolutely. Well, I want to point people real quick, right back to CS custom calls on yep. um, cscustomcalls.com. Is that, I said that right, right? Yep. Yep, cscustomcalls.com, and I've been just kind of, while we've been talking, I've been looking, I, I might have to try out some of these uh, prodigy uh, mouth calls that you got here for turkey hunting, because that would definitely be, I'm always, my wife is like, why do you have to buy new mouth calls every year? I'm like, well, I don't have to, but you know, it's kind of gross if you think about it, to let that moist thing sit up in a cabinet <laughs> for a year, and then, you know, put yeah. it back in your mouth the next year. I, I like to, you know, at least have one fresh call, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I go through a lot of those calls, it seems like, and actually those calls, I, I kind of. The turkey calls on the on the site there. I well, the mouth calls. I have a gentleman named uh, Shane Simpson makes those, and he runs a he runs a site called CallingAllTurkeys.com, and he does a lot of YouTube footage and stuff in the spring. And uh, <clears throat> but anyways, he makes those for me because I'd rather turkey hunt than make turkey calls, and so he just makes those, and he's really good at it. And so I just want want to give him credit. But yeah, they they are good calls, and they're kind of. Like we work through a few different things and I've got a couple variations on there um, that are calls that I specifically like to use that he built for me. But yeah, I, 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 man, I used to try to reuse calls after a year and they just never seemed to say and sound nah, the same. Not quite. You know, I, I lose it. If I'm lucky, I wear one out before I lose it, but usually I lose it. And it's really bad when you have like a whole box and you can just grab out of it. It's not very good for my bottom line, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. it's always nice. 
So yeah, you're on yeah. Uh, Instagram and Facebook, I believe. CS Custom Calls. Yep. I'm looking at Instagram right here, so yep. you can see some cool, cool pictures there of the calls and some of your uh, looks like some hunting adventures that you got there. Yeah, we're trying. I try to do better at that, but uh, you know, it's one of those things that Instagram is a constant battle. You know, oh, man. I, I, yep. Everybody wants to see what's going on, but usually when I have stuff to do, filming it is the last thing I think about, you know? Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, there's a lot of good in- info on there. Um, the web store pretty much has everything from everything that's in stock and sound files. And of course, you know, in, in this world, I'm only an instant message away on either of those <laughs> accounts, yeah. which is good and bad. <laughs> but, yes, I understand that. But, yep. So, well, Mike, it was really great hearing about uh, your calls and hearing about business and life and uh, some of the stories there. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing that today. Yeah, you bet. I'm glad, glad to do it. All right, there you have it. I uh, really enjoyed just kind of hearing Mike talk a little bit about his call business. I don't think I've ever talked to anybody that's been able to kind of pull that off full time and uh, just talk about the work that is required and kind of chasing that dream of his. And I just really appreciate him. I know, um, you know, he had mentioned before we started the episode about his wife and uh, didn't expect him to kind of bring that out. But whenever he did, you know, it just just a truly uh, remarkable man of faith to go, kind of going through something like that and the, the challenge of loss. And so I would encourage you, if you've gone through something like that and you're just struggling a little bit and just wonder a little bit about faith or any of those kind of things, um, feel free to send Mike a message. Uh, I'll list his information down below. Uh, you're also welcome to talk to me. Um, you, if you've listened to any of my previous episodes, you know that that's something I've experienced a lot, especially in 2018. Um, but on a positive note, we just want to say thanks so much for listening and uh, thank you so much for coming back for another episode we'll have another exciting one next week so make sure that you hit that subscribe button if you haven't done that yet and i uh, hope that you enjoy the stories we'll see you next week and remember to shed the light